invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to the 8th chapter of Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 8, as we continue in our study of Luke today. If you've been with us, you know that we have been following along now in the the teaching and the healing ministry of Jesus. And so as we went through chapter 7, we saw there the, the questions from John the Baptist. We saw Jesus commending John for his faith and for his bold proclamation of the truth, and at the same time, uh, calling out those who were not repentant, uh, who were perhaps hearing but not obeying God's word. And we see that theme continue now as we come in chapter 8. Now, we're going to go through a number of verses today, but uh, we're covering all these because I believe they, they really all are under the same theme, and Luke's put them together for that reason. They, they really have to do with this fundamental issue of our need to not only hear the Word, uh, but to do what it says, uh, not just to, to gather each Lord's Day and to, to hear the Word proclaimed and even to, to sing the Word together, but when we leave this place, for it to actually be applied to our life, for us to do something about it, lest we drift away from the truth. And so we're going to be looking this Lord's Day at Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 21. And out of reverence for God's Word, I want to invite you, if you're able, to stand together as I read this passage for us. As a reminder, this is written to us by a doctor named Luke, who, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us this. Soon afterward, he, Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell in good soil, and it grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God, and the ones along the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, these are they who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for that in good soil, 
They are those who, hearing the word, hold fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those may enter who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside, desiring to see you. But he answered them, my brother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. You would pray with me. Father, I pray that you would help us through the power of your Holy Spirit to hear your word and to do it, to trust you, to walk by faith, and to walk in obedience. This is not a work of our will or a work of our flesh, that this is a work of your Holy Spirit empowering us to do this. So I pray your Spirit would do that very thing now as we consider your word together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Not too long ago, I came across a, an article uh, about a problem that the, the nation, the continent of Australia, has been having uh, really over the last decade. And that problem is related to their global positioning satellite. And we all learned in school, or if you're in school now, you will learn that uh, continents over time shift, and they shift at a speed that we obviously do not notice or pay much attention to, but uh, some continents shift more than others, and this article explained how uh, Australia is one of those continents. Now, it, it is shifting at a fairly low rate, about three inches to the northeast every year, nothing that you would actually see or notice, but it adds up over time, and what Australia has been dealing with over the last decade is that uh, for a long period of time, they have not updated their GPS systems and satellites, and this has now created a bit of havoc because uh, now, if you use a GPS in Australia, it's about six feet off. <laughs> and so you can imagine how that would be very difficult for those who depend on pinpoint accuracy with these GPS systems. The article talked about how farmers who are planting in fields and using GPS systems, how it's, it's uh, interfered with their work, and how the military and going through exercises, how it's interfered with their work. And you can imagine just the nuisance if you were a tourist, and you fly into Australia, you rent a car, it says turn here, can't turn there. And so uh, they have been going through the process of correcting this issue that has come from this drift, and to date... And they have spent hundreds of millions of dollars to try to correct this issue and update their systems. As I was reading through that article, I, I couldn't help but think of the, the illustration, the picture that is, of this, this costly drift and how uh, you and I are experiencing a, a more costly drift in our world today, uh, a world that has drifted at a far greater speed away from our foundation, away 
from the center of God's word and God's design for human flourishing. And as we get farther and farther and farther away from God and from his design, not just in the world, but but in the church itself, well, it is a very costly drift. It's not a new drift. Uh, we tend to look around the world today and, and think that, well, things are, are worse than they've ever been, but, but the world has always been drifting away from God's word, from the very origin in the garden where we see God give his word and we see Adam and Eve immediately pull away from it. Uh, we have been pulling away from it ever since. And that is why the writer of Hebrews warns us about this very thing in Hebrews 2.1 where he says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And friends, that is the tendency of our hearts. It is to drift away from God's word. Some in a rather rebellious fashion, and some through a passive indifference, where what seems to be barely noticeable, over time it adds up, and, and we end up way off course. But there is a correction for this, and it comes through the Word of God, and I believe it's the very issue that Jesus addresses here that Luke shares with us in chapter 8, because hopefully you already noticed that the theme that that runs through this passage is the theme of hearing God's Word and responding to God's Word in the right way. In fact, Jesus, in sharing this parable that many of us have heard before that appears in other gospel accounts, he's really fundamentally sharing a parable that teaches us about hearing, and how it is we listen, and and the evidences of how we're listening in the form of fruit. So my hope this morning is that we would listen, that we would indeed hear the Word of God. And so as we do, I want us to consider three questions that help us individually each and as a church to consider if we are indeed drifting and what we might do if we find ourselves drifting. And the first question you see there in your outline is this. Number one, are you holding fast to God's word and persevering in your faith? Are you holding fast to God's word and persevering in your faith? This is a question I want us to consider as we go through the, the first part of this passage, really the, the bulk of this passage that comes through this parable. Before Luke gives us this parable, though, he gives us a bit of background. We won't spend much time on this other than to say he notes here that now as Jesus is continuing to teach and minister, uh, he has with him the 12. You'll remember the 12 were the apostles that were called out of that greater group of disciples. And Luke also, more than any other gospel writer, he, he always mentions those women who were following Jesus. And here, specifically, he tells us the names of several of them. He tells us about Mary Magdalene. Now, you may have heard in sermons or in in other media, uh, people say all kinds of fascinating things about Mary Magdalene and her background, but the scripture uh, doesn't tell us much about her other than what we see here, uh, that she had been demon-possessed and that Jesus in his ministry had exercised these demons from her. That's all we know. We don't know that she was known by some sinful background or lifestyle. In fact, it seems that she was a wealthy woman, a woman of means, because along with her and Joanna and Susanna, we see them mentioned as three women who in particular, out of their wealth and means, were supporting Jesus and the apostles so that they could continue in this ministry. 
And that's what we know about her. That is what she is commended for. And we'll see her mentioned again later in our study of Luke. And so Luke gives us this background, and then he tells us that Jesus now goes and he's preaching before a great crowd. Now, if you've been following with us through Luke, you may have noticed that Jesus' ministry begins there on the banks of the Jordan River where John the Baptist is preaching and baptizing and calling people to repentance. There are certainly a number of people there, but by no means is it a great crowd. And then as Jesus' ministry continues, he goes into the synagogues, and so there's a bigger crowd there. And now he's at a point that many commentators believe by this point that this is the largest crowd that will hear Jesus preach. In fact, in some of the other gospel accounts of this same passage, we find Jesus so overwhelmed by the crowd that he actually has to get in a boat and pull away from the shore so that he can preach to all of them. And so there, there are hundreds upon hundreds of people gathered around Jesus, perhaps many of them who've been following along in this crowd. They were there when Jesus encountered that, that funeral procession coming out of that small village. And they've been there and seen him preaching in the Sermon on the Plain. And perhaps Jesus, in looking out at this crowd, he is definitely able to do what we can't do. He can discern the heart. And he knows in looking at them, Who's listening and who's not? <laughs> who's actually hearing and applying what he's saying and, and who it is that, as the expression goes, his words are going in one ear and out the other. I'm thankful I can't do that. <laughs> you're thankful you can't do that when you're talking to people, but Jesus absolutely could do that because he is truly man and truly God. And so as he's looking at this crowd, perhaps the largest crowd that he'll preach to, he uses this time to, to teach them something about the need to really hear what he's saying and to consider the, the condition of their own heart and why it is that they, they may not really be hearing and listening. And so he, he tells a parable. And as you may know, a parable is when Jesus tells a, a story about everyday ordinary things, but usually that story will exaggerate a point because the point of it is not about, in this case, agriculture and how to be a good farmer. It's got a spiritual application a uh, gospel application. And so he, he tells a story, though, that they would be familiar with, and many of you are familiar with. It's, it's a sower, a farmer, going out to sow seed. And he talks about how this seed, it, it falls along different places. And so he says, first, there's some that falls along a path. And in this time, in, in this ancient day, there would have been fields set up. And around these fields, there would have been pathways that one would walk. Of course, there's no heavy machinery and equipment. They would have a seed bag. They would be spreading this seed out. They would walk along these paths. And those paths would become so well-worn that they would be you know, as firm as, as we might think of pavement or, or concrete. These would be hard ground. That this isn't the place that a farmer would sow seed. And yet, he says here that in this case, this farmer... He's throwing out the seed, some's on the path, and then there's also some area perhaps between the path and the field itself, kind of some rocky ground. He says some falls there, and then we're all familiar with, with thorns and weeds, some's there, and then finally there's some in the good soil. So literally, this farmer is just throwing seed everywhere. So you might imagine in our modern context, a lot of people have, have seeded fields over the last couple of months. I imagine if you were driving down Bloomfield Road, and rather than seeing a large John Deere tractor out in the field, it was literally driving down the middle of the road and spreading seed all over the road. <laughs> you would probably think that's 
got a problem. It's not supposed to be doing that. But again, Jesus here isn't teaching us about how to be more efficient in our farming practices. He's teaching us about something else because this isn't what you would do even in his day with seed. It's certainly not something which, that you would do in our day with seed if you're actually farming. I read an article in the New York Times not long ago about uh, a race to grow a one-ton pumpkin. And what caught my attention about this article was at that time when the article was written, the, the world record for a pumpkin was just, uh, was 18, just over 1,800 pounds. And in this race, I guess this is a whole world in itself, this race to grow this one-ton pumpkin, people were so eager to get a seed from that pumpkin that they were paying as much as $1,600 for a seed from this pumpkin. Now, I can only imagine that when someone paid $1,600 for the seed from that pumpkin, they didn't go out and just throw it in their driveway. <laughs> they were probably very careful about where they placed it. But again, Jesus here, he, he's not saying... This is how you farm. He is talking about something, of course, that's much more valuable than even that $1,600 pumpkin seed. He's talking, he says later in verse 11, about the Word of God, that Word that is priceless to us. But rather than making an emphasis on the value of the seed or the practices of farming, what Jesus is really telling us here is about listening and hearing and, and what condition our soil is, what condition our heart is, and how we are receiving. That the seed is the seed. It's going out everywhere to everyone, but everyone's not going to receive it the same way. And, and you know this. So you'll, you'll leave the service today, and some of you, maybe, will sit around your lunch table and you'll talk about the sermon. If you're in my family, you'll be forced to do that, but some of you will never give this another thought. Some of you aren't giving this a thought right now. <laughs> it's in one ear and out the other. Well, what's the difference? It's, it's the same word being proclaimed, but it's the different condition of our hearts, the different soils. And so he, he says then, and he makes this point in verse 8, he says, okay, if you have ears to hear, then hear. Listen to what I'm saying. That, that's the point of the parable. And then he, he's talking to the disciples, and he's saying to them, in essence, you have ears to hear, because I've given them to you. That the Holy Spirit has opened them up. And Peter, that's why you're not in a fishing boat right now. That's why you're following me, being supported by this woman who previous to this was possessed by a demon. That's why you're here and not there, because you have ears to hear. And then he says something that can be a bit confusing to us. Verse 9, he says, after his disciples had asked him about this parable, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now, there, there's a couple ways of, of looking at this, and we need to be careful, because if we just look at it in, by elevating man, we miss the point. And what I mean by that is often we'll read something like this, and we'll think, well, that's not fair. Well, God's saying people can see, but he's not letting them see. And that they can hear, but he's not letting them hear. And what's this about the person who seems so eager to hear the word, but then Satan takes it away so they can't be saved? 
when, when we think that way, we tend to elevate man in this way where we think of man as, as innocent and sinless and, and we're all out there and we just have the best intentions and here's this mean old God who doesn't want us to be saved. And yet, what does Scripture tell us fundamentally about the condition of our hearts? There's none who does good, not even one. That left to ourselves, we, we rebel against God. We've been rebelling since the garden. Where God clearly says to Adam and Eve, here's paradise, here's everything you need, I have supplied everything you could ever need, but here's a boundary to paradise. Do not eat of the fruit of that tree. And then comes the serpent, and what does the serpent say? Did God really say? Is that, is that really the best for you? And they're deceived, self-deceiving, deceived by the enemy, and they rebel against God. And we have been rebelling ever since. There's none righteous, no, not one. And so Jesus here is saying to the disciples, but, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, your ears have been opened. Because thy nature, you don't want to hear. And by nature, you don't want to see. I mean, th think about the response of our shifting culture when the truth is exposed to them. When, when they are confronted, when we are confronted in our sin. Everyday life, think about when you are confronted by another person that you've done something wrong. For those of you who are married, think of it this way. You're, you you. You said to your spouse you were going to do something. Yeah, I'll, I'll take out the trash. And then you didn't take out the trash. Maybe you forgot you ever said you took out the trash. Maybe you forgot where the trash can is. You, you just are oblivious to it. And they say to you, hey, you said you were going to take out the trash. And your immediate response is, I, I have failed miserably. I did say that. And, and I'm a terrible person. No, your response is, well, you said you were going to... Well, I was busy over here doing this, and things didn't break all day long. Maybe I'd have time to take out the trash. And we, we get defensive, don't we? And the world around us, when confronted with the truth of God's word, that that world will shake its fist in rebellion at God. We don't want to hear, and we don't want to see. And Jesus is saying to the disciples, by God's grace, you, you've been given the ability to hear, so listen. Don't neglect this gift that God has given you. My friends, that's a word for us today. Don't neglect this. Don't, don't, don't just sit there and ignore this. this. This rich treasure, this priceless treasure that, that God has preserved through his church to put before you today. Don't just look at that and then walk away as if it doesn't matter. He says, this is life-changing. And this is what God's consistently said. In fact, I believe Jesus here, he's, he's calling back to what God called the prophet Isaiah to do. You, you can look there way over it. In Isaiah 6, you have practically the same wording here in what Isaiah's commissioned to do. And Isaiah's told by God, okay, I want you to go out there and I want you to proclaim the truth and, and just heads up here, you're going to make people want to hear it less. Their hearts are going to become harder the more you preach. And the more you shine the light, the more they're going to love the darkness. 
Jesus is essentially saying the same thing to the disciples. And so you're, you're going you're gonna to hear this, he's saying to them, but because God's changed your heart and you can hear now, so don't, don't neglect this. They're not going to hear this. They don't want to hear this. They want to drift and they want to move away. Their, their hearts are hardened and they'll only become harder. And then to better explain that, he then walks through this parable. He says, now the parable is this. Again, the seed is the word of God. And the first one he says that the ones that fell along that path, that, that hard-trodden soil, they're those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Now again, notice the condition of their heart. It is hard. It is calloused. That they've heard it. They, they, they've heard it. They, they seem to have these ears, but, but these ears are, are deaf. They, they, they don't want to hear. And then as if they think that they are their own sovereign and their own God and they can make their own decisions and how dare anyone tell me that anyone else could ever tell me anything. Little do they know they are actually listening to and obeying a word, but it's not the word of God, it's the word of the devil. And so that the most, or excuse me, the, the least religious, the least spiritual, the, the, the most agnostic atheist in the world today is worshiping a God. It's the God of this world. It's the God of their flesh. The scripture says that that's the devil. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 4, they Speaking of these very hard-hearted people, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to the hardness of their heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Friends, that, that is the commentary of our world today. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. <laughs> well, that hasn't been, let's go do that now. They, they long for it. Again, it's this expression of, of self <laughs> that they're really bowing down to the God of this world. So they hear the word and they immediately object to it and they reject it and they reject God's design and God's Word that they don't want to have anything to do with it. Then he says, verse 13, there's another condition of the heart, another soil. The ones on the rock, the seed that falls on the rock, are those when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But because they have no root, they believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. I mean, this is a person who they, they hear the word, they hear the gospel, and they, they seem, it appears at first, they're, they're really excited about it. <laughs> I like that. I want that. So, so not like those other folks who, when they hear it, they say, I don't have anything to do with God. I don't want to have anything to do with this word. Get, I, I don't believe that. I don't want to believe that. that this person, perhaps they, they come to this church or another, they, they hear the word proclaimed. There's a conviction and a burden. Perhaps life is very hard right now and they see some hope and they see that light and they want that light and they say, yes, let's do this. 
I agree with this. I like this. I've tried this, and I've tried this, and I've tried this. Now this, this is it. This is going to change my life. That They walk the aisle. Everybody amens. Maybe they go and weeks later get baptized, maybe even join the church. And then 10 years later at a members meeting, we vote them off. We don't know where they live or who they are or if they're even alive anymore. That they receive it with joy. They believe for a while, but what happens? Time of testing comes, they fall away. And then that testing can look like a lot of things. It might look like discipleship. And and now... They're starting to learn about what Jesus says, that if anyone will come after him, they have to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him. And and essentially, what it is that they're holding fast to is not Jesus, it's to their sin. They don't want to let go of their sin. What do you mean i got to let go of this? That sermon didn't say anything about this. What what do you mean i got to stop doing this? No, I, I don't want to do that. They just want to sprinkle some Jesus on their otherwise flesh-consumed life. And Jesus doesn't offer that option. And so as soon as they're faced with the reality of what it truly means to die to self and be made alive in Christ, they, they don't want it. And notice we said, because they don't have any root. The seed's there. It seems like something's happening. Never grows. Never produces fruit. Because there's no root. Because their greatest joy is their sin and not Jesus. Verse 14, then he says, And then as for what fell among the thorns, these are those who hear, but as they go their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And so unlike that that rocky soil, it, it seems here that there is some fruit Though it's not a maturing fruit. Why? Because as soon as it's starting to grow and produce something, it's choked out by weeds, by thorns, which he says are the cares and riches and pleasures of life. Money, in and of itself, it's not evil. We need it. We ask for it every Lord's Day. (laughs) We use it to fuel the great commission of the gospel of Jesus Christ to take the gospel around the world. That's a good thing. God's given you a home and a family to provide for. That's a good thing. It's not evil. Caring about things in this world, that's not a bad thing. Caring about your health and caring about your loved one's health and and caring about stuff and being invested in stuff and and caring about your work and your business and your employees. These are good things. Pleasures of life? Man, God's blessed us with so many pleasures in life. So many things we can just just enjoy and love and, and things that nourish our soul and we should be thankful for that. that. That's a good thing. But it's not the main thing. And when we elevate all of this above the main thing, well then it becomes a bad thing. And then it's choking out the main thing. And, and when those things become 
the, the focus of our life and the driving force of our life. And when those things become more important to us than the Word, and when we're not willing to let go of any of those things for the cause of the kingdom, then what we find is our greatest joy is not the Word, but it's the world. And it's as if we're saying to the Creator, well, I don't really want you, I just want your stuff. And so Jesus here says that that person, they hear, they, they, they seem to receive, there's some fruit that's coming, but it, it's choked out by all this stuff. Because that's where their joy comes from. They're not holding fast to the word, but to the world. And then though, he says, verse 15, but as for that in the good soil, these are those who hearing the word that they hold fast in an honest and good heart and they bear fruit with patience. And friends, it takes a great deal of patience to bear fruit. It takes a lot of pruning to bear fruit. It takes getting in there among the weeds and the thorns and, and pulling them out one by one to bear good fruit. It is not a passive process in farming or in life for that good seed and good soil to produce good fruit. It's a sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. But it is a work worth dedicating our soul to. And so he's describing here the person who they, they truly are holding fast to the word. And what that means is that when they, they open up the word and when the word of God is used by the spirit of God to convict them that they are in sin and need to repent rather than holding firm to that sin and not letting go of that sin, they hold firm to the word and they let go. And they repent. They turn from it. And all these things that God has given that are, that are good things when they come to understand that there may be a point where these good things become the main thing, then they repent of that and they put them back in their place. They prune and with patience they endure and they persevere. And then when trials come and hard times come and suffering comes and God says it will come, they hold on. And they hold tight to the anchor of their faith. God says that this is how we are to listen. And this is how we are to hear. And he who has ears to hear, hear. Listen. And if right now you're hearing this, you're, you're really listening to this, then God is saying prune and cultivate and dig deep into the word that you might see this growth as well. Now we, we can get preoccupied in this parable with, with things about, well, you know, which one of these persons is indeed a Christian and which one's saved and which one's not. But the, the point here isn't to look out with this parable at everyone else trying to figure out where they are. It's to look at ourselves and to ask where we are. How are we hearing the word this morning? With a hard heart, we, we just don't even listen. Or, or is there this, this joy when something's said that we really like? <laughs> you know, 
It's like the, you know, maybe if you're familiar with it, the, the Thomas Jefferson Bible. Thomas Jefferson denied, among many things, the divinity of Jesus. And so he literally took the Bible and he, he cut out all the passages that he didn't like. But that's what we do too, isn't it? Well, I really like when Jesus says this. So I'm okay. Yeah, that's the one I'll put up on the wall. I don't really want this one though. Is that us? Or are, are we, we listening and we, we really seem to, to want to hold on to the word? But as soon as those worldly things are put in front of us, we just, that's where our joy is. Or are you persevering? Fighting the good fight and running, running the race? Are you holding fast and bearing fruit? You probably heard this, somebody asked me this years ago, if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict? Is there true and lasting fruit in your life of the gospel? Now that's the first question. Give me another hour, we'll get through the next two. Just kidding. Briefly, question two. Then are you sharing the light of God's word with others? Are you sharing the light of God's word with others? So verse 16 he essentially says God has given us the light of the word, not so that we might hide it. And he says, you know, how silly would it be if you walk into a dark room and you, you in this day, you had a lamp on a lampstand to light up the room so that others might see when they came in. It would make no conceivable sense for you to light the lamp on the lampstand and then cover it up. But, but this picture he's saying that this is what we should not do. What we cannot do with the gospel that the clear point of what he's saying here is that we have been given this light that we might let this light shine before others that they might hear the good news and respond to it as well. And yet, we struggle to do this. I'll just read J.C. Rowell's commentary on this passage. I found it very convicting. He said this, Let us not only think of ourselves, let us also think of others. There are millions in the world who have no spiritual light at all. They are without God, without Christ, and without hope. Can we do nothing for them? There are thousands around us who are unconverted and dead in sin, seeing nothing and knowing nothing right. Can we do nothing for them? These are questions to which every true Christian ought to find an answer. We should strive in every way to spread our faith. And then he says this. The highest form of selfishness is that of a person who is content to go to heaven alone. Jesus says we should never be intent to go to heaven alone. And so he says, verse 18, then take care how you hear. Don't be like those people that Isaiah was preaching to. Don't be like those hard-hearted people who, who just reject the gospel. Take care how you hear and hold fast to the word and hold on to the light and shine that light before others. And then he says, if you, you hold on to the word and you persevere, you receive this mercy and grace and then God gives to you more mercy and grace. And you receive the light and God gives you more light. But to those who turn from the word, who walk away from the faith, he says they are walking into a dark void in a shifting world where there's no mercy and no grace. 
And that, that little bit that had been put before them, it's gone. Don't let that happen, he says. Hold on to the word, hold on to the light. And then question three, for us to discern if we are indeed drifting. Are you living in obedience to God's word? I believe this section, as Luke places it, it goes right along and really brings us to the conclusion about hearing. He says that Jesus' mothers and his brothers, they come to him, they can't reach him. There's this great crowd. It's easy for us to picture that. They can't get their way through. And essentially, he doesn't say their motives. There are other gospel accounts that talk about concerns they might have had about Jesus. But here he just simply says they've come for him. And so they tell Jesus, your, your family's here. Notice what he says. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. <laughs> it's as if Jesus is saying, I'm not done with the sermon yet. <laughs> I'll get to them. But my family, it's those who hear and do. He's saying something. I don't think he's disparaging his family or disowning his family. He, he's, he's bringing these things in. He's saying, let me, let me finish preaching. Listen to what I'm saying. Don't just hear it, but do it. You're, you're so easily distracted that you're worried about what's after this. You're worried about my family looking for me. Listen, friends, and do what I say. And if you listen and do, then you indeed are a part of the family of God. In fact, that is how we know. That is how we identify the drift. Now, that's how we look at our own GPS and we see, okay, am I, am I three feet off? Am I five feet off? Or am I on course? Read it this way in 1 John chapter 2. And by this, we know that we have come to know him. Here's how we know if we're on course. If we keep his commands. Whoever says I know him. But does not keep his commands is a liar. And the truth not in him. So you're, you're off course. Well no I'm not. I'm, no no, you're off. Well how do you know I'm off? Because you're not obeying him. But whoever keeps his word he says. In him truly the love of God is perfected. And by this we know that we are in Him. So again, here's how we know we're on course. Whoever says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So are, are you on course today? Not long ago I had a chance to, to fly to Orlando for a conference we went to. It was the first time I've flown in a long time. And if you've flown recently, you know you need all the gizmos and gadgets right there in the seat in front of you and on this one I you could watch the flight path and you could see you know where where you were on the map at any given point well as I was watching you know here here's what the flight path supposed to be it's this little straight line maybe bowing out a little bit and then ours was kind of this you know <laughs> kind of went around this and over here and you know turbulence other things above my head but I'm sure there's a reason I'm sure the pilot didn't fall asleep or anything but you know, as we were about to land the plane, I noticed that, that here's what the path was envisioned to be, and here's what the path was, but we landed at the right airport, fortunately. <laughs> because they course-corrected along the way. And friends, that, that's the gift God's given us in His Word, that we might course-correct. That we might land in the right place. But to do that, we need to pay attention today. 
And we need to look at our lives and see if we are indeed drifting. The final book in God's Word, the book of Revelation, and in it we see God's Word to churches that in some cases had drifted. One particular church is in Revelation chapter 3 that had, had drifted away from the truth of God's Word, and they're given this instruction. I'll leave you with it today. God says to them, Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. Remember what you have seen and what you have heard. Hold fast to it and repent of anything that's keeping you off course today. And that is my prayer for us this Lord's Day as we consider his word together. I want to ask you if you would to stand together as I pray that very thing for us.